As an optimist, I believe, no matter what, spring will come and seeds will grow. So a couple of weeks ago, during a winter storm, I popped a dozen organic beans into biodegradable pots. Every other day, I watered them. I took them out whenever the sun showed its face, and I dutifully retrieved them at night so they wouldn't catch a chill. This morning, my baby beans measured four inches tall, so I shuttled them up to the garden and tucked them in. Tomorrow, I expect to see at least one beanstalk poking through the clouds, and by June, I know I'll bask in the green glow of my neighbor's envy. Parents are by far the most optimistic gardeners. Once the seed's planted, we naturally assume our baby will be above average in all ways. Healthy, sweet-tempered, a champion sleeper, and oh, so smart, talented, and athletic. But when tiny baby or growing child doesn't match our expectations for whatever reason, parents may feel ashamed, guilty, angry, or all of the above. If you've got a special needs child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even as you deal with today's parenting challenges, you may also worry about how your child will find his way when he's no longer a child and must deal with the world's expectations. At those times, nothing is more encouraging than talking with an experienced parent who is ahead of you on the path, someone offering practical advice and hope. Those special people are like a breath of spring, chasing cold fear from your heart. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. Today's show, Autism, Acceptance, and the Path Toward Independence. My guest today is Amalia Starr, author of Raising Brandon, Creating a Path to Independence for Your Adult Kid with Autism and Special Needs. Amalia is a family consultant and motivational speaker who specializes in supporting parents of children with special needs through her workshops, seminars, and private sessions. Her results-based approach focuses on empowering both parents and their children to reach their full potential. As a mom, she has devoted more than 36 years to creating a path to independence for her son, Brandon. Welcome to Family Confidential, Amalia. Well, thank you. I understand that you've just recently moved, and you were telling me that it's a little disconcerting to be in a place where you're new and things aren't where you're used to them being, and you were just mentioning that you felt it gave you some more empathy into um, maybe how Brandon experiences the world. So we're going to be talking today about Brandon, who's your adult son. How old is Brandon now? He's 36, almost 37. And Brandon was a special needs child. Can you tell us what the special needs were in his case? Well, as a child, he was my second born. So when he was born, I thought there was something different about Brandon. And I really didn't know what it was. And we need to keep in mind, this was almost 37 years ago. And back then, parents didn't speak openly about their children being different. Mm. It was something you kept to yourself. 
It was almost, it was shameful. So I went out looking for books and trying to find information about what is this kid? What is this about? What makes him different? What was your sense on a gut level that he was different? His cries were different. The sound of his cries, his actual movements in the crib were different. His stillness to this accelerated movement, which was something I never saw with my oldest son. They were two and a half years apart, and it just didn't seem right. He was a tiny baby when I brought him home. He was just a little over five pounds. And yet, you know, intuitively, we know as moms, there's something, we don't know what it is. But as I spoke to doctors and my mother and my husband and the few people that I could talk to, they just thought I was crazy. The doctors gave you no reassurance that what you were, in fact, observing was out of the norm? No. They said it was just a tiny baby. There was no signs of anything. They ran several tests. And of course, there is no test for autism. And autism was unheard of back then. Mm. And as far as developing seizures, he didn't have seizures when he was a tiny baby, at least not that we know of. But now I think possibly he did. So there you were. I'm trying to take this from your perspective. You didn't have a label for what you're observing, you just had this gut instinct that something was wrong. Nobody who were the experts or the people close to you were giving you any support for what you were sensing was the case. And there was no resource information for you to turn to. Is that accurate? That's correct. So that must have been a very lonely and frightening place. Yeah, it was terrible. I was young. I was isolated. I lived in Hollywood. I lived a very glamorous life. And I hid behind that quite a bit because I didn't know what else to do. No one saw what I saw or felt what I felt. Did Brandon go to preschool? He did. And what happened when you brought him into situations where there were other children and presumably there were educators who were facilitating groups of young children? Any feedback from any of them? I searched for... A school that I would that I thought the teachers would have more understanding or small school where there'd be fewer kids I did my research hoping that I would get some feedback I got negative feedback that Brandon didn't play with other kids he didn't talk they didn't like him because he wasn't he didn't do anything what's to like And that was the problem. Mm. And so I remember leaving Brandon and just watching him cry. And, you know, back 36, almost 37 years ago, the teachers just said, keep going. Don't even think of his crying. Just go, go, let him cry. Mm. And I did. And I cried all the way home. So we both cried for the few mornings I took him three days a week. It did get a little better for both of us. And truthfully, I did think I was doing the right thing for him, for his growth, his maturation, even if he wasn't playing with other children. That didn't bother me. I just wanted him to be around the other kids and to see if indeed this would change. Mm -hmm. I was hopeful. I, I have no idea where my hope came from. I am a hopeful person, and that's who I am as, as a human being. And I brought that into this arena, and I am ever so grateful for that. Because without hope, I really truthfully don't know how I would have made it. And there were many days that I didn't think I would make it. I did. My vice was shopping. 
I did. I went shopping and bought items to make me feel better, which, of course, lasted a very short time, Mm -hmm. and my closet became extremely full. That was my outlet. It seems to me this idea of hope and um, even the attempt to fill what must have been a gaping hole in your heart and in your psyche with objects bought from the store, I'm feeling that this is something that many parents who are dealing with, in this case, an unknown that is clearly affecting the healthy development of their child. I'm sensing that this is some fear that we all have. And the idea of being a hopeful person, maybe it's a natural resilience that you have, Amalia. I think it shines in your book, and it's it's a very powerful message. I'm going to ask you now, if you wouldn't mind, to please read from your preface, which is entitled, There is Hope. Brandon has Asperger's syndrome, untreatable epilepsy, and severe learning disorders. He couldn't tie his shoes until he was 15 years old. He's been called every name in the book, weirdo, jerk, idiot, moron, spastic, etc. I have found him locked in a shed, battered and bruised on the bottom of a pile of kids. He's been shoved, spit on, slapped, teased, taunted, and tormented. I was desperate to protect my son and almost lost my mind while trying to keep him safe. Brandon couldn't make friends except in his secret world. His underdeveloped fine and gross motor skills greatly limited his activities and his inability to express himself kept him longing for acceptance. But his limitations didn't stop him. I wanted my son to succeed and so did he. As parents, we are all looking for the same thing. We want our children to be happy and to reach their full potential. I am no different. I found in order to achieve that goal, I had to begin by giving up all resistance and accept my son just as he is. Wow, thank you. That's so powerful, that last line, Amalia. I mean, isn't that really what all of us need to do as parents, whether we've got typical or atypical kids for any reason, to be able to accept our children just as they are? And I'm wondering, from your perspective, and I know that you do wonderful speaking presentations and workshops for parents who have kids with special needs, what do you think is the resistance parents have? We love our kids unconditionally, but this idea of acceptance... Tell me your thoughts about this, please. Well, for me, it took a while to accept my situation with Brandon and that I had a child that had special needs. Not knowing what they were, it did take me, and I need to make this clear, 13 years to come to terms with it. And the reason being is, one, for me, I had no one to talk to. When Brandon was nine, he was diagnosed with epilepsy and learning disorders, and the pediatric neurologist told us never to tell anybody Brandon had epilepsy. Uh, Excuse me? And don't tell Brandon himself either. What do you think the reasoning behind that piece of advice was? Her reasoning was the stigma attached is so bad, which is true. The stigma to this day, people believe if you have epilepsy, you are possessed by the devil 
are demons. And Brandon is unable to return to many places in his life after he's had an epileptic seizure because he cannot take the teasing. He cannot take the ridicule. Mm. He cannot stand it. This advice, this is not current medical practice now, is it? No. To keep this a secret, I would think that education, especially in the life of a child, to let the child know, to let classmates know what's going on could be a wonderful opportunity for learning all around. Right. Going back to the question you asked me, why do we feel this way about our kids Mm -hmm. not being able to accept them is the neurologist actually added more shame to something I was already feeling. She made it feel dirty. She made it feel worse than it was. And of course, secrets, especially with a medical condition, is the worst thing to keep it a secret. We need to let people know. We need to let the person who's falling down know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. So he has a right to know this. And yet again, I was young, put the doctor on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. and I did what she said. But it also, and this is really important, I felt the lack of, what we do is we do identify with our children. And so I had a typical, neurotypical, normal son first. And then I had Brandon. And it wasn't part of my plan. Your plan of what your life was going to be as a parent. Yes. As an adult. This didn't factor in. You never imagined this. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And it's not most people's plan. We, we want healthy children. We expect healthy children. We are hopeful that that's what we will have. Is there ever an aspect of we think we deserve healthy children? I believe that could apply, definitely, Mm -hmm. absolutely. It's so interesting because with these kids that have special needs, or any child, what happens is we live our lives with our children, through our children, sometimes for our children. Mm -hmm. So we do all of these things. We identify with them. So if we have a child with special needs, we think, One, maybe, where did we go wrong? Or, you know, it's a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. We take it personally. Yes. And as we take these things personally, that is where I believe one gets into trouble. That's what happened for me. I took it personally. I was silenced because I didn't have any very few people to talk with. And the ones I did thought I was nuts. So there was really no, no one to talk this out with until many years later. So I went through the identity crisis of, and the loss, the sadness, Mm -hmm. the loss. What is this child? What will he be? What will happen? Well, he will always live with me. My life has changed forever. Mm -hmm. So through the maturation, the normal maturation, the typical maturation, a child grows develops. You see a child get taller. You see them mature and develop in ways that we expect. And with a child like Brandon, you might as well take the word expectation and throw it out the window. Because whatever we expect may come or may not come. And it will come at their time, not my time. And not in a book where it says 14, you know, 13 puberty, this is what's going to happen. 15, he'll do this. 16, he'll do. No, not right. There is no book out there that can tell me what Brandon's going to do now at 36 or what he was ever going to do from the time he was born. There is no clock. There is no calendar. There is nothing. 
What I love, in especially about your book, is at the end of each chapter, you have a pull-out section that says, what I learned from these experiences. And I couldn't help but notice that every time I got to one of these, they seem very universal to me, not at all specific to a child like Brandon or any child with special needs. They just seem like good parenting insights. And that's the interesting part, Annie. As parents with special needs children, we need to think outside the box. We need to be creative every single day. We seldom get a break. So we have a bit of differences there. But universally, it's all the same. The way I treat Brandon and I get positive response from him is the way if you treated any child or any your spouse, your girlfriend, a boyfriend, any human being on this planet you would get the same results because what people are looking for and are hungry for is acceptance for who they are just as they are, not to change them, not to make them different, but to accept them. And when they do things so differently than I would do or you would do, to not say, we got to try it this way because this is how I do it, but to adapt and say, wow, another way. How clever is that? He still gets it done. It may take him five times longer, Mm -hmm. but he's not in the same hurry that I'm in. It's so intriguing, this idea of acceptance. It's what you wanted most for Brandon from his peers, and yet you're quite open and honest, and I love this about the book, about the struggles you had accepting him for who he was. So what you wanted the world to give to him, you were in fact struggling to give to him. And how profound is that? You know, I'm recalling a time with my daughter who, when she was six years old, was always a very creative, imaginative kid and could get sidetracked into her own fantasies. No one even needed to suggest anything. A dust moat flying, (laughs) floating down in the sun meme could have distracted her. And I remember a time when she just needed to get her shoes and socks on and had to do that while I was downstairs preparing breakfast on a school morning. I left her sitting by the heater on a chilly winter morning, putting on, she had one sock on and only one more sock to go. So I left and went downstairs. 10, 15 minutes went by and no sign of her. It was getting late. She had to get to school. I went upstairs and saw her sitting on the bathroom floor with the remaining sock over her hand. It had become a sock puppet. And she was having this very lively dialogue, very imaginative. And I just looked at her and I said, you're still sitting here. It wouldn't take me this long to put on another sock. And she just looked at me and she said, mom, I'm not you. (laughs) And I thought, wow, how true. She is not me. She doesn't do the things I do in the way that I do them. She does them in her own way. And it is not my job, nor should it be my role in life, to try to mold her into a clone of me. What insight from a six-year-old. And I totally understand the impetus because we think we've got all this experience. Just do it this way. It'll be easier. And yet sometimes um, our way doesn't fit anybody else but us. What's so fabulous about that story that you just shared about your daughter is when she was six, she was able to say, Mom, I do it my way. Mm-hmm. With children like Brandon, that's the difference. They don't say it, 
They don't stop you. So you have to stop yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to monitor your behavior as a parent. You are the one in charge. And it is easy to forget that. Very easy. That's a really important point that we have to be, you know, police ourselves. How do you recommend the parents do that? Because, you know, we've got schedules, we've got things to do and places to go, and we can't always just be patient. As you say, you say wonderfully, you know, you have to cultivate patience, and that's something clearly you have had a master teacher in Brandon (laughs) helping you cultivate patience. But if you are, as most of us are here in the 21st century, rushing around trying to do 10, 15 things at once, and your child is in their own zone doing things their way, How do you cultivate patience in that moment? What have you found works? At the beginning, there was no patience for me. I mean, I was doing things for Brandon because I had to get him done. Get your sock on, get your shoes on, and it took forever. Well, it's true. We don't have forever. But during those times when we do have more time, and when I learned that Brandon could never learn life unless he lived it and experienced it for himself, I was able to step back. It took time, took many years for me to understand this, that I truly felt by helping him do everything or doing things for him, I was helping him. But of course, in hindsight, when I look back, I wasn't helping him. I was enabling him. Yeah. And so I find patience through reading books Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. I read that for the first time about 12 years ago. Prior to that, I have read books, spiritual books. I have spiritual teachers. I'm around like-minded people, people who are kind and patient, who understand Brandon. But I think getting back to the question of what gives me the patience with him is I see when I am patient, the results are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And with the results, so patience equals great results with Brandon. And when I put things like that on my wall to remind me, don't do it for him. Mm -hmm. Patience, let him do it for himself. That's a wonderful lesson for all of us, not just in our relationships with our children, but obviously in our relationships with other people, (laughs) anybody else that we encounter, either randomly on the the street, at the supermarket checkout, (laughs) or people that we have intimate ongoing relationships with. You know, I always say that when I'm stressed out, other people are stupider, (laughs) or so it seems, or um, less competent. In other words, my level of tolerance goes down when I'm stressed out. This is not an aspect of myself that I am particularly proud of. So when I notice that edginess to me, that's a sign that I take to just calm down. It's not about them. And certainly my pushing and impatience is not going to improve the interaction, just the opposite, of course, as you have noticed. And it's interesting when I talk to parents and students as well, I will inevitably get to my key point, which is that when it comes to other people's behavior, you have no control. All you can do is modulate and become more self-aware of your response to what's going on around you. And when you do that, you will find all of a sudden everyone else is 
more competent, more cooperative. It's it's quite amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's so true. I remember after the neurologist telling me to not tell Brandon or anyone that, that he had epilepsy, I remember mainstreaming him in school and not telling anyone and taking him places and not telling anybody and trying to make him fit in. I did everything to make him fit in, and I was exhausted. It was a 24 Howard, I mean, well, he was sleeping. I didn't need that. But other than that, I was doing this. Mm. And it was crazy making. I wanted him to fit in, just making him. I knew I could do it. I could change him. I could do that. And so it did take time realizing that that was just a waste of time and, and great energy that I could be devoting to, to positive areas and helping him, not making him someone he isn't. Yeah. And that was a process. But as we raise our children, it is a process. And as we learn to understand maybe their quirkiness or their differences or their, you know, whether you're typical or not typical, we all have our little ways of doing things. And Brandon just has more. Brandon can't fake it. Brandon doesn't cover up. Brandon's not a liar. Brandon is beyond truthful. I just wrote a blog on a, he's on truth serum. So <laughs> this is who I am. Take it. This is who he is. And if you know who a person is, and this is the fun part, and this is really important, when you know who your children are and how they act, the fun part is to match them with activities that bring out the best in them. Ah. And that is what has kept me going. It keeps me motivated, creativity. I love it. I am asked to step up to the plate almost every day with Brandon on how to do something, how to do this. Just the other day, Brandon's 36, almost 37. He got hit by hail, big Ooh. hail, balls of hail, and he didn't know what to do. He had the worst headache of his life because he didn't know to go find shelter. Oh, he was out in a hailstorm. He didn't know. So how do I know he doesn't know? So there's no way to plan for every aspect of your child's life. But when these things happen or something is brought to your attention, as a mom, you go out there and you say, hey, Brand, next time the hail comes and these balls are hitting you in the head, <laughs> you find something that where there's an overhang something overhead where you can stand under or if there's a driveway that goes down under don't go all the way down but just go far enough so your cover and your, your head is protected i love this attitude i love this because what you're saying you're not demeaning him for not knowing no no you're just saying hey you know what this happened you survived and the next time here's what you might try right it's never making him feel bad. It's always making him feel okay. And always I work towards making him feel even better. Mm -hmm. So any mistake who people say, oh God, how could he not know that? I get this all yeah. the time from friends, family, like, how could he not know that? That's ridiculous. He's 36. No, it is not ridiculous. In your mind, it's ridiculous. And that's a judgment call as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. What it is, is this is a man 36, and very youthful in some areas, very young, who's making it on his own, who has been on his own for maybe 13 years. Mm -hmm. And when you think of that, you think, okay, we've reached this far. Many people with Brandon's limitations, I would say most, never make it this far. They don't make it to independence. For me, this is the greatest gift I could have. I am free he is free. It is my responsibility to help him any way I can. And now I find it 
fun. <laughs> I just love I how he doesn't even know what to eat that's healthy. So I show him through color how to eat through color. And that has worked. It's just been fantastic. What a breakthrough for us just recently. And this is all aspects of his life. So when we take for granted that Brandon's, you know, I talk about my 36-year-old son in my blogs and how he's doing well because he's out there living his life. But truthfully, I'm quite in awe of Brandon, how he does this. And I, in many days, don't know how he does because for us typical people, we have hard times making it ourselves. And when you find someone walk by like Brandon, it's hard not to be in awe of him, but most people who don't know him actually find him as a rude jerk and as a moron and idiot and want nothing to do with him except to beat him up and ridicule him. Yeah, it's it's that judgment. But like I say, when I'm talking to kids who are dealing with bullies or or teasing or shunning, I say you can't control the rudeness of other people, the insensitivity. And if you try and make that your life goal there in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you're going to be stressed out because you have no impact over their behavior. Better yet, as you have done, to give Brandon tools to live his own life so that he's enjoying an independent path. I wanted to go back to what you're mentioning, food and color. This is something that I find very fascinating. You and I had a prior conversation about this. I believe, if I'm not if not mistaken, this came from a question you received from a parent about healthy eating for a child. It actually came out of a blog that I wrote. Okay, tell us about it, please. Well, it was about, I guess, about a year ago. Um, I had noticed that Brandon had no concept as to what to eat when we went to a restaurant. It would be a sandwich, it'd be fries, it'd be macaroni salad. And what I've said is starch after starch after starch, and I could see he was putting on weight. And it's not the best way to be eating, especially when you have untreatable epilepsy. A diet is important. So I had no idea. I've always tried to teach him how to cook and did things like that in his apartment, but that didn't work out. So I gave that up. And when people would ask, how does Brandon survive when he doesn't cook? I say, well, how do bachelors survive? You know, a lot of them don't cook. They go out to eat. So what I realized, I had to help him when we were out in restaurants. And his favorite restaurant is a place where you order your food They have a big, huge glass case, so you can select what you can see what you're selecting, and then you sit down, they bring you the food. So about a year ago, we went to his favorite restaurant, and I saw him not know what to order from the list on the menu on the wall. He was having a problem, and he seemed to get very anxious. So I said to him, you know, Brandon, why don't you take a peek at the counter? Pick out really colorful, different colors, things that are colorful, too, and you can have one beige, white, or brown. (laughs) Beige, white, or brown. (laughs) Is that in the chocolate department? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not sure. Fortunately, there was no chocolate in there. But, uh, yeah, I guess that would work, too. But he did it. He ordered carrots. He ordered green beans. Mm. And he ordered a piece of chicken. Mm. And when his plate came, It was beautiful. And I mentioned, look at your plate, Brandon, how pretty. Usually it's one color of white or beige. Now you've got all colors. When you have colors like this, you know you're on the right track. You're doing a great job. Did he enjoy the meal? He did. He has fine and gross motor skill difficulties. So 
he had a problem cutting his chicken. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, goodness. I mean, there's always one leads to another, right. which is fine. It's a chain of events here. And when you know that, you just know what you're in for, and it's fine. You just know it. So I looked at him, and being 36 and six foot two, a big guy, a man, I said, would it be all right? Let's exchange plates. I'll cut up your chicken for you. I will then hand it back to you, and then you give me back my plate. Now, try not to eat my chicken while you're waiting. <laughs> and he laughed, and he liked that because it wasn't demeaning. No. It was sensitive, and it was kind, the way I would like someone to treat me. Respectful. Respectful. Yeah. And not taking away his dignity. Yeah. And that's what so many people do with people that have disabilities. And unwittingly, it sounds like you came from a place where, with all good intention as a parent of a younger child, that you would do for him without thinking, I am taking away his dignity. Exactly. Exactly. So yes, when you asked me, did he enjoy his meal? He did not only enjoy it, he loved it. (laughs) He was so proud of himself to have picked out and select this. And it was so wonderful. And even at that day was probably one of the most special days of my life. Because when we were getting ready to leave, Brandon wanted to take his lemonade home with him. And so he went over to the fountain and filled up his paper cup. He then put the lid on his paper cup, peeled back the straw, put the straw in the hole, and tears ran down my face. Mm -hmm. I had never seen him accomplish that task. Although, as small as it may seem to others, it was monumental to me. So when I mentioned to him, wow, fantastic, Brandon, he said, about what, Mom? As if he had conquered this and it was no longer a problem, which it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I know that this is often the case, that a child who has special needs takes up a lot of a parent's energy within the family. And you speak about your older son, Matt, in the book. And I'm curious about what growing up with a special needs sibling was like for Matt, from your perspective, how you might have felt divided as a parent because you had so much on your plate helping Brandon, and what kind of relationship these grown-up siblings may have at this point. I always thought I was doing a good job with Matthew. He did everything. He was a terrific athlete. He was in the theater group. He did everything, and he did everything really well and easily. He was a very easy child to raise. And so I attended all these events, and I was there and happy to be there because it really lightened my load for the day. You know, I had a son that was shining. Mm -hmm. He was a star. And it did help me in many ways, and I felt that I did give back to him. However, yes, the squeaky wheel gets the grease all the time. And it is very difficult. It was very difficult for him to grow up with a child who needed my attention most of the time and demanded it most of the time. So Matthew had a lot of friends, and so he did have a lot of activities and that to take up a lot of his time. But there's something about a parent who splits up their attention and it's not fair. They certainly feel it. And it isn't fair. I'm one of three girls. I'm the youngest. And I know what fair is. We don't always get the fairness that we deserve. My ex-husband was in denial about having a child with disabilities. Mm. And 
He was in denial all the way to his death. My son Matthew has a lot of denial about Brandon. He believes Brandon can do better. He's just lazy. Mm, He believes that to this day. He does. He also believes that he needs to get a job. He needs to do all these things. These are all expectations that Matthew has of him. And when they go out together, they get into it often because Matthew always is on his back. Mm. Do this, do that. You got to do this. You got, no, he doesn't have to. But as of recently, just as of just a few weeks ago, things have shifted. Matthew understands more. Brandon is able to give more because he's doing alternative treatments that is clearing up his thinking patterns Hmm. called BEST, B-E-S-T, technique. It is working wonders for Brandon. And he thinks clearer. He's able to take actions that are more appropriate. He has always had difficulty in the social skill arena or in the social arena. Most people with autism do. And he's shied away from making friends or any as he gets older because he's been so badly treated in the past. And now I'm writing my latest blog of how to teach Brandon social skills. How do we do that with someone who doesn't get it? He doesn't get it. And you can't tell him, well, when Bob says this to you, say, no, thank you. It's going to change every time you talk to someone, every single time. I went to sleep and asked for an answer, and I came up with an answer, and it's working. The answer was, take Brandon to the tennis court. I'm like, okay, fine, I'm taking Brandon to the tennis court. So Brandon and I went to the tennis court. I have a friend who teaches tennis, and I told him the situation. I said, I have this idea that I think is going to help Brandon. He was teaching young children. He watched Brandon, and I were sitting there watching him teach the children to hit the ball over the net and then to rally it back. It was terrific because the young children were just new and young and learning, and so they really didn't know what they were doing. So my friend was able to explain a lot of the game itself. Because every time the ball went over, I said, watch the ball, Brandon. Look what happens when they don't send it back. Look what happens when they don't even try. Look what happens when they try to send it back and they don't get it over Mm -hmm. or they send it back. I said, every time your brother reaches out to you through email, through telephone, text messaging, a letter, Any way he does that with you, the ball is on your side of the court, Mm -hmm. and it's your turn to send it back. Good. So he started sending it back. And now when he gets an email or a text message, he is responding, and that's all Matthew wants. Because of his life being so full with his children and his work, he cannot keep giving without getting. It doesn't work for him. And he just told me last night, he said, Brandon's doing so well. He's responding, mom, and he's responding in a timely manner. And he's, he's actually saying things that are nice. And that's what Matthew needs. That's what he wants in order to have a relationship. And Brandon understands the consequences that his brother will continue to move further away if he doesn't do these actions. What a brilliant metaphor with the tennis ball coming to you and what happens when you just drop the ball Yeah, yeah. versus keeping the ball in play. Wonderful, brilliant. Huh. 
Just wrapping up here, I know that you are a motivational speaker, and I really, I, I thank you for the parents who, like yourself, 36 years ago, were looking for a resource. You are, I'm sure, a light in a very dark time for a lot of parents who have never had the opportunity to talk one-on-one with someone like you, who not only comes from an experienced parenting place, but also from such a a hopeful and positive place. As you say in your book, your goal was for Brandon to enjoy an independent life. And how wonderful that must be for parents who have younger children now thinking ahead. So I would love to have us end here with your giving a word of encouragement to parents who um, are just getting this diagnosis of autism, Asperger's for their kids and something that to have them take away from listening to this podcast that will give them the hope. Just thinking of when I was told about Brandon and how to keep him having epilepsy a secret, just in a place of how sad and all the feelings of shame and what will happen to my son, what will happen to me, what will happen to my family. I didn't have the tools at that time, which I have now, that I find to be so helpful is one, especially of living in the moment, living in the now, as painful as it is at this moment. It will spare you so much pain if you can live for today where you are, make plans, but live here today. And to believe in yourself and to trust what you're feeling Trust your instincts. If a professional tells you your child will never be able to do this, as we were told often, you can listen, but you can disagree. They are not the final word. Parents, we have so much power when it comes to helping our children. We have the key that opens doors for our children, and we hold those keys. And as we develop and we find ways to reach out to our kids and work with their limitations, their shortcomings, find ways we become creative. We can make this actually somewhat fun instead of dreadful. I find by raising Brandon and seeing him mature and develop, it has given me a purpose, a purpose of gratitude, of hope, of sharing Anything I have with others to help them on this road that can be beyond bumpy. It can be dead end after dead end, but we can learn to turn from that dead end and find pathways that lead us out into the open and to create and to allow these kids to be who they are and develop into precious gems that they are. Although all very different and different possibly from you and me, these kids deserve a chance and deserve to be accepted and respected for exactly who they are. Beautifully put. Thank you. So tell us, Amalia, where can people learn more about your workshops, your blog, your book, and all of that good stuff? You can visit my website at amaliastarspeakerautism.com. My guest today has been Amalia Starr author of 
raising Brandon, creating a path to independence for your adult kid with autism and special needs. Thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with us, Amalia. Your work is inspirational. Thank you, Annie. I really enjoyed it. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And join me next time when my guest, award-winning food writer Matthew Amster Burton, discusses his new book, Hungry Monkey, A Food-Loving Father's Quest to Raise an Adventurous Eater. Till then, happy parenting! Happy parenting!